songs ring out let our hearts be glad love has banished doubt 
see the empty cross All our debts are gone Only grace remains For the victory's won Oh, what a day What a glorious day Oh, what a day What a glorious day When you conquered death And rose up from
the tomb has been opened. Nothing can take away our hope in you. You have been raised. You have been raised. The work is completed. Hell and its past been
chance Jesus you came to bring us back to God You canceled the debt that stood against us Set it aside, nailing it to
Christ is risen indeed. Welcome to all who are joining us near and far. We are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And praise God, hallelujah, that every day is resurrection day for all who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are here to celebrate Christ's life today. Praise God that we can do that. And again, welcome. And just so you know, all the pictures that have been showing... The rest of them will roll after the service is over, so we want to make sure we see all of you. And uh, let's pray together now as we start this service. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace to us, your love for us. Lord, we acknowledge you that you are great and greatly to be praised. Thank you, Lord, that you died for our sins on the cross. Thank you for your kindness to us, your love, your mercy your grace. Thank you, Lord, that even though we are weak, you are strong. Thank you, Lord, for every good and perfect gift that you give, even the tough times in our lives, even times when we cannot be together with loved ones and with the church. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the providential gifts you give us to be able to even connect like this. Lord, we praise you for Christ, for the cross, for the gospel, Lord, thank you for every medical worker, every first responder, all those that are helping and fire and police and medical professionals. Lord, thank you for the outpouring of love from your people uh, to people around the world. Thank you, Lord, for basic human kindness where people are helping each other. But Lord, we look to you for help today. Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is in you. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Please open your Bibles up to John chapter 20. The Gospel of John is where we'll be today, chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 right now. just want to remind you, I say this every week, but this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. God's Word is absolutely true. It is authoritative. It is perfect. It's the only perfect part of the worship service. So I'm going to read John 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, 
the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word today, and open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking today about the resurrection. No surprise, it is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and like I mentioned previously, every day is Resurrection Day for all those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But I realize that not everyone listening to this sermon right now knows Jesus Christ personally. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're here to open the Word of God with us today. And I want to talk with you today about trust. I want to talk to you about trust because trust is a valued commodity, is it not? A valued commodity. William Shakespeare said this, love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. Ronald Reagan famously said, trust but verify. It is hard to trust some people in our lives. They made a promise, they didn't keep it, uh, they broke your confidence, uh, they couldn't keep a secret, uh, couldn't get be trusted by you for some reason or another. But there is no such issue with Jesus. He is 100% trustworthy. Pascal said, He that takes truth for his guide and duty for his end may safely trust God's providence to lead him aright. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, All I have seen teaches me to trust my creator for what I've not seen. But what I want you to see today is that Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, blesses his people with faith to trust him. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, blesses his people with faith to trust him. And I want you to see this as we go through John chapter 20, how the risen Savior blesses his people with faith to trust him. Now, if you follow Christ, I hope that this encourages your heart. If you are Considering the claims of Christ, I hope that this helps you understand the true gospel message today. I want to bring out to you today four ways that Jesus blesses his people. Four ways that we see in John chapter 20 that Jesus blesses his people with faith to trust him. And the first way he does this is in the first 10 verses. What we see here is that Jesus blesses his people with his power. Now, it's early Sunday morning. Mary came to the tomb. It's still dark. 
and the stone has already been rolled away from the tomb. So she runs and tells Simon Peter and John and says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. I don't know where they've put him. He's gone. And Peter and John are just racing each other to the tomb. And John looks in first. He sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he doesn't go in. And then Simon Peter just rushes on in, dives in, and he sees that Jesus is not there. So then John goes ahead and goes into the tomb. He sees, and it says he believes. But it said that up to that point, he didn't grasp the scripture that Christ must rise from the dead. Now, if you go back to John chapter 2, what you'll notice is that the Jews were demanding of Jesus a miraculous sign to prove his authority. And Jesus' answer was, you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. And he was talking about his body. And then John 2.22 tells us that when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he said that. They remembered the scripture. Scriptures like Psalm 22 and like Isaiah 53. And they remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to them. And then you see in this passage that in verse 10, the disciples go back to their homes. I mean, where else are they going to go at this point? Jesus is gone. Jesus is risen. The Savior has risen just as he said he would. That's recorded in Matthew 28, verse 6, where we see these words. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Now, let's do a little backstory here. Three days before that, on Good Friday, uh, the sin-bearing Savior endured the cross. That's crucifixion. That was the form of capital punishment in those days. And crucifixion was so, pain, so painful that he screamed out in anguish, literally groaned. It's like the roar of a lion. Because he was at the cross bearing a Mount Everest of sin in our place. The Bible tells us that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. The scriptures tell us that he died for our sins. Now the outcome was never in doubt. He is called in the Bible, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was promised in the garden. In Genesis 3.15, there would be this serpent-crushing savior that would slay Satan to save his servants. So this was never in doubt, this victory over Satan and over sin and over death that Jesus accomplished at the cross. This is the backstory to the resurrection. And this was planned before the foundation of the world. In fact, Hebrews 2, verse 15, tells us that through death, Christ rendered powerless he who had the power of death, that is, the devil. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 tells us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's like John Owen said, the death of death and the death of Christ. And so we see in the resurrection the greatest event in history. Now you might say, what about the incarnation? What about when Jesus, God the, when God the Son became God-man forever? What about that? Well, the resurrection ties into all of that, and the resurrection is the greatest event in history. There is no Christian life without it. There is no Christian faith without it. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we're not forgiven of our sins. So the resurrection is the greatest event in history. Now, you might say, if you're a skeptic, wait a minute. 
Why put all your eggs in that one Easter basket? Why are you going to bet it all on God and his trustworthiness? Why don't you diversify your portfolio there a bit? And the Bible tells me very clearly, let God be found true and every man a liar. You can't trust mankind. You can't trust anyone but God ultimately. Lord Byron said it this way, we're all selfish and I no more trust myself than others with a good motive. God always keeps his word. You can bank on that. Everything has come true. Everything will come true. No promise has fallen. Acts 2.24 tells us God raised him from the dead, raised Christ from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's how powerful Christ is. Acts 10.40 says God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. When you think of the resurrection and you think of the power of God that was being displayed, you've also got to remember that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved, that the triune God was involved in the resurrection. In Romans 6 verse 4, it tells us that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. In John chapter 10, verse 18, it tells us Jesus' words, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And then 1 Peter 3, verse 18 tells us that Christ died for sins, once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit of God. Christ was raised. Christ was raised by the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words of Paul. He says, we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, those who are called to believe in Christ, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he goes on to say this. Now consider your calling, brothers and sisters. There were not many of you wise according to worldly standards. There were not many of you powerful according to worldly standards. God chose what is low and despised so that no human being would boast in God's presence. Because you can't. Because it's ridiculous to boast of your power in the presence of almighty, all-powerful God. Every one of us feels weak. And every one of us is trying to get power. I mean, we try to do, you know, push-ups. I mean, seriously, someone said to me this week, uh, you know, quarantine challenge, do 100 push-ups a day. So I'm doing that right now, and my arms are like, you know, jello right now. Uh, but that's not making me like that much stronger. I, I'm relatively weak as, as strong people go. Uh, you could do professional power trips, you know, get as strong as you think you can be in the professional world, and still you're relatively weak, and, and you're not really that strong. Or... You could decide you want to be the resident bully, okay? The resident bully in your class, in the neighborhood, in your family, in the workplace, and that, and that you're just going to you know, boss people around all the time. 
And what you'll find is you just feel weaker, right? That try as we might, our strength is very limited. I mean, we're very weak. Put, put yourself up against a tornado. Uh, tornado's going to win. Put yourself up against a, uh, a volcano. Volcano's going to win. Uh, put yourself up over ocean waves. You know, the, the ocean waves are going to win. I mean, just about a year ago, I was at Seal Beach riding little waves on a boogie board, okay? And seriously, I, I took it the wrong way, and uh, the, the, the waves of the beach ripped my pectoral muscles. Um, and for several months, in fact, um, we're weak. We're weak. And, and the nations are, are a drop in the bucket. Just a drop in the bucket. I mean, we're like ants under a magnifying glass in the hot, under the hot sun. We're like little, little toy army men, you know, puny plastic playthings, and we think we're so strong. And I guess what I would suggest to you today in the, in the presence of a holy God that's all-powerful, and you see Jesus blessing his people with his power, I would just say, lean into your weakness today. Paul said it this way, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I can admit it. And he says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because Jesus blesses his people with his resurrection power. That's the first thing we see in this passage. I want to move on, and this is going to be the biggest section, really, but the second point, and it's, it, we're going to see it in verses 11 to 23, that Jesus blesses his people with his preeminence. He's, he's first place. He's got the t- highest priority. He's God Almighty. So when Jesus walks into a room, he's in charge. When he walks into the room, when he shows up, he's in charge. So what happens is Mary is, is standing outside the tomb, and she's weeping. Jesus told his followers, you're going to weep. The world's going to rejoice that I have been killed, and you're going to weep, but your grief is going to be turned into joy. And so she's weeping outside the tomb. Now, this would be her second visit to the tomb, because you'll notice back in verses 1 and 2, she had gone away to tell Peter and John. And then she comes back, and she looks into the tomb. But what does she see? Well, no Jesus, of course. He's been risen from the dead. But she sees two angels. One at the, at the, where the head of Jesus had been lying, one where the feet of Jesus had been, right where Jesus' body had been. And they ask her, why are you weeping? And she says, well, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've taken him. She thinks someone has stolen the body. And then, and this is just startling, she's, she's saying that, and all of the sudden, she, she turns around. Look at verse 14. Just put your eyes on that verse. Having said this, she had just said, I don't know where they, where they put him. She turns around, and she sees Jesus standing there. But here's the weird part. She doesn't recognize him. I mean, tears are streaming down her face. She's weeping. She's crying. Tears just flooding. And Jesus asks her, verse 15, why are you weeping? And then he says, who are you seeking? Now, she thinks he's the gardener. It's in a garden area. And she says, if you've taken him away, let me know. You know, don't do that if you've done that. And Jesus then speaks her name, Mary. And instantly she recognizes him. And she says to him, my teacher, 
literally, like my, my Lord, my master. And, and, and she's like worshiping him. And then in verse 17, he says, don't cling to me. She was clinging to him in worship. And, 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 and so here's Jesus doing some social distancing, I guess, right? I mean, do not cling to me. It's better. It's better like this right now. Don't do that. And here's what he gives the reason. He says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. This is the resurrected Jesus, okay? So he says, go to my brother, say, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. What he's telling Mary is, look, I'm risen from the dead. I'm not someone who's just like been healed of a disease. You know, I'm the Lord of the universe. And I told you what I was coming to earth to do. So we see in verse 18 that Mary goes and announces to the disciples, I've seen Jesus. Yeah, I've seen the Lord. And he said all these things to me. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine the thrill? And go on down to verse 19. In the evening of that same day. So these things had happened early in the morning and looks like into the day there. And then in that night, and we see this in verses 19 to 23, this scene where Jesus appears to his disciples. He walks through walls to get into the upper room. The doors were locked. They were afraid of the Jews. I mean, the Jews had just killed Jesus. So I think they're kind of afraid of what might happen to them. And Jesus comes walking through walls. And he says, peace, peace. Remember when he, he even said that earlier before the cross? He said, my peace I give to you, my peace I live, leave with you. Not as the world gives. And then he shows them his hands and side. So at the cross, they put nails through his hands. And so there's holes in his hands. Like you could see through the hole in his hands. And then the side, he had a, a, a place where they had pierced him with a spear. Why'd they do that? Well, what they, would, what they want to do is make sure they would break the bones of the people that are being crucified. Remember, there were two thieves crucified with Jesus, and they broke their bones, but they saw that Jesus was already dead, and that fulfilled prophecy, too, that none of his bones would be broken. But they basically uh, thrust a spear into his side while he was up on the cross. And so he shows them his hands and his side, and they're glad, they're excited. And then he says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Like, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then, remember what he said to Mary. He said, I'm ascending, verse 17. And then verse 21, he says, I am sending. Both of those are in the present tense. And it's just showing us how preeminent Jesus is. Jesus has the prerogative, the power, the position to ascend and to send. Jesus does it. He's preeminent. He's God Almighty. And so verse 22, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He's prepping them for Pentecost. Verse 23, he speaks of forgiving sins or not. And what he's really pointing to is that they're going to need to follow his word and read it and obey it and apply it, uh, his preeminent word that's authoritative. But he is first place. He's the resurrected Lord. He's going to ascend back to the Father. And remember, he promised to, to return. Once he goes back to the Father, he promised to return. That's what we're waiting for now. 
Think about all the people that were waiting for Jesus' birth for centuries. And, and now what we're doing is we're waiting for his return. But Jesus is, is preeminent. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that very clearly. If you look at Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20, and you read through those verses, what you notice is that Jesus is the image of God, literally the perfect perfection of God, and he's the firstborn. Literally, he's preexistent and he's unique. He's superior over all creation. And it tells us that he guides and governs the universe and that all things exist via him because he is the ruling beginning of everything. And that the priority is in rank, and in time, he holds the universe together. He's like a belt that holds the universe together. He's like super glue holding the universe together. And that verse 18, Colossians 1.18 tells us that he is the firstborn from the dead. His resurrection paved the way and paid for our sins and paved the way for our faith. That he is first, that he is chief, that he is preeminent. And that's why it says that he himself might come to have first place in everything. That is preeminence, that we would actually acknowledge the preeminence that is already his. What might be the proper response to this preeminent one? Very clearly we see it here and in, in, in the rest of the Bible and with what we're doing today in singing praises to God. We ought to praise the preeminent one. We ought to praise him. It is wholly appropriate for us to praise him with all of our hearts, to sing praises to him. It's appropriate that we worship him. And the Bible's chock full of praise to God in the Psalms and other places. Even in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1.17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. How about Revelation 5? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb to receive worship as the preeminent one. You ought to worship God with all your heart. See, Jesus blesses his people with his power, and, and here we see him blessing his people with his preeminence. He walks in the room, he's in charge. He walks through the walls, he's in charge. What else do we see here? In verses 24 to 26, Third, we see Jesus blesses his people with his patience. So he doesn't just bless his people with his power and his preeminence, but also his patience. Verses 24 to 26, we see how patient Jesus is. So the setting there is that Thomas, one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples, somehow wasn't there when Jesus came into the upper room. I don't, we don't know what he was doing. We don't know where he was. But he hears about it about Jesus rising from the dead, his friends, the disciples, say, he showed us his hands and his side. Now, you got to remember this. This is, this is crucial here. He, he talks to the other disciples, and they're telling him, hey, buddy, we wish you were here. I mean, you wish you were there. Uh, he showed us his hands and his side. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. Now, you'd think the guy would be like, 
okay, man, that's awesome. What do we do next? But that, that's not what he does. That's not what he responds with. Here's what he says. I mean, look at verse 25. They, they tell him we've seen the Lord, and here's what he says. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, which tells you there, there's the scars there, that they're still there. They know you, there's proof that he's pierced. And place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is what he's stipulating. When he hears about it, he says, I don't believe it. Doesn't believe it. And he actually says, seeing will not be enough. You notice that? I won't believe unless I see the holes in his hands, but I have to actually put my fingers into the nail holes, and I actually have to stick my hand into his side right in the hole where the, where the spear pierced him. He wants proof. And I love the patience of Jesus. Jesus has him wait eight days, stewing in his unbelief. I mean, think about it. Eight days. He lets it go a week, makes Thomas wait it out, and just simmer in unbelief. And I just think that this actually is comforting for those of you who struggle with your faith and struggle to believe. So stay with me as we go on. Because Jesus blesses his people with his power. And he blesses his people with his preeminence. And he even blesses his people with his patience. It's a blessing that, that Jesus made him wait. I mean, we can't wait a minute sometimes or even two minutes for something. But it's, 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 it's angling to something here that is absolutely otherworldly. And it's, we see it in verses 27 to 29. And it's this. That Jesus blesses his people with his kindness. He's kind. He, he could have shamed Thomas, but he didn't. So here's what happens. Look at verse uh, 26, actually, it says eight days later, his disciples were inside again. So doors still locked. They're still afraid. And Thomas is with them this time. So here's the guy saying, I'm never going to believe it unless not only see it, but touch it too. And it says that the doors were locked and Jesus comes walking through walls again and stands among them and says, peace be with you. But look at verse 27. Kindness. He says to Thomas, put your finger here and, and see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Here, Thomas, go ahead. See and feel for yourself. God in the flesh, who knows the heart of man, who walked on water, 
who turned water into wine, fresh off this busting out of the grave resurrection, about to ascend to the Father, he had dealt this massive death blow to the devil and death, deals kindly with doubting Thomas. I think we all would have understood if Jesus would have said, Thomas, get with the program. Thomas, what a failure. Thomas, get your act together. But instead, heart-melting kindness. Doesn't it just make you pause and just wonder? You need to know what Jesus is like. You actually need to know how Jesus described himself. There's one time where Jesus took a moment and he describes himself. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11 with me. If you got your scriptures there, just look at Matthew 11. I want you to look at those verses, verses 28, 29, and 30, Matthew 11. Here's what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and here it is, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just keep looking at these verses with me. All you who labor, those of you that are groaning and are weary and are toiling, all of you who are heavy laden, those of you that are loaded down with a weight of sin and guilt and shame. He says, rest in me. Like, cease from your labors and your striving and rest in me. Now, this is startling that he says about himself that he is gentle and lowly or literally humble and gentle. These words are packed with meaning, but never are more comforting words spoken by, by the most understanding person ever, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows us, who knows you. Doesn't matter what age you are, the youngest child or the oldest adult, Jesus knows all about you. To you who are laboring and heavy laden, pushed down by life, downcast, worn out by trying so hard. You know what this is telling you? That your burden qualifies you to come to Christ. And that Jesus will unburden you. I want you to know that Christ's heart for you is big. That he is understanding, that he is compassionate, that he is kind. And sometimes you might not feel a lot of kindness coming your way. Sometimes maybe you just long for someone to say a kind word to you. And I just want to tell you today that Jesus is heart-melting kind. He's not going to downplay your sin. He's not going to demean you for it. 
He died for your sin. The powerful, preeminent one, the highest, came down to humanity. It took the role of a servant, made in human likeness, humbled himself to death on a cross. Everyone's current favorite word is unprecedented, right? Jesus' humility and kindness was unprecedented. Jesus stooped to be kind to us. This is a a lesson in downward mobility that baffles the power-hungry and lifts the downtrodden. Jesus' humility was radical. I mean, the ancient heathen philosophers despised humility. It was not a virtue to them. Pride was valued. Humility was weak. They said humility is for sniveling cowards. And Jesus reversed the values of ancient culture and offered a radically different way. He put things right side up again. Jesus is kind and very honest. I mean, look at verse 27. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And and what's the response? Look at verse 28. Thomas' answer to Jesus. My Lord and my God. He uses the two highest words he could use. Lord, which is equal to Yahweh in the Old Testament, and God. And here is Jesus accepting worship unflinchingly. And Jesus says in verse 29, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Now he's not correcting Thomas. Don't take this the wrong way. He is commending his faith. Everybody's at a different place, you know, so so he wasn't as believing as Peter and John right away. We're not ranking it here, okay? They're all part of the redeemed. Blessed are they who did not see and believed, all the other disciples, and, and all those who will believe through the witness of the disciples, all the way out to right now until Jesus comes back again. And then we read, drop down to verse 31, why this was all written, so that we would believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life in his name. Whenever you see that, in his name, we can pray in Jesus' name. The idea is everything about Jesus, everything he is, all that he is, powerful, preeminent, almighty God, the sovereign Savior. And really, if you think about it, when Jesus says, don't disbelieve but believe, when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, when he says, this was written so that you would believe in, uh, that John said you would, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believe in him and have life in his name. You know what that means? You're getting the basic message of Christianity right there. Forgiveness of sins through Christ's death and the gift of eternal life through faith in his resurrection. And you believe it or not. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. You believe, trust, surrender, yield your life to Christ. Because repentance and forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to all nations. 
that Christ saves from sin's power and penalty. Even you who feel worthless right now, even you who think you're too sinful to be saved, even you who think you're too far gone, Jesus didn't die for good people. The risen Savior says your life matters. He wants you to believe in him. If you're poor in spirit, if you know you're spiritually bankrupt, if you know you have nothing to offer, Jesus will give you what you don't deserve. You know, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment, the Bible says. You don't get a second chance after death. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. You know that as of today, right now, April 12th, 2020, 11.9 million children have been killed by abortion. That should crush your heart. And also, 471,000 people have died of HIV AIDS. 300,000 have died by suicide. 274,000 have died from malaria. 136,000 have died from the flu. I checked the numbers this morning on World Meter. I did. These are up-to-date numbers, and the clock is ticking, and the numbers are going up. Just as of this morning, 110,000 have died from COVID-19 this year. 10,000 in the last three days. And only God knows who dies without Christ. Call on the name of Jesus today. Jesus said, he who comes to me, I will never cast out. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. The Bible tells us the, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. The one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And keep on believing and you'll know you are. That you're accepted, never rejected, secure, not lost. Believe and obey him. Believe and obey him, not yourself. You know, in Herman Melville's 1851 novel, Moby Dick, there's a pastor preaching to whalers from the book of Jonah. And here's what he says. Here is the lesson, shipmates, to all of us as sinful men. It is a story of sin, hard-heartedness, suddenly awakened fears, swift punishment, repentance, prayers, and deliverance and joy. And then he said, Jonah's sin was willful disobedience of the command of God. And then he said this, very notably, all the things that God would have us do are hard for us to do. And then he says, if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. Grasp it. If you're going to obey God, you got to disobey yourself. God's command to obey is for all to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him and trust his word and serve his purposes in the world. And it's not a promise that life's going to go better for you, but your soul will be right with God. Trust Jesus, because when you trust Jesus, you can go through anything with startling grace. Trusting Jesus changes your life. Hashtag Jesus changed my life. The movement is real. Look to Jesus with eyes of faith, not physical optics. If you doubt God's existence today, trust what you can't see. If you wonder if God is trustworthy, let him show you he is. 
Don't just trust only what you can see, because if you do that, you risk missing life. And yes, God gave us his written word that we can see with our eyes. And he gave us the transformed lives of believers, as imperfect and flawed as we are, to display trust in Christ. I am trusting in Christ right now. I have to trust in Christ every moment. What did John Wesley say? I, I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That can be you right now. Right now, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Doesn't matter what age you are, however young you are, if you understand the message, however old you are, understand the message, believe in Jesus right now. And before I close, let me say something to believers very strongly. Please, please, by the kindness of Jesus, by the patience of Jesus, by the preeminence and power of Jesus, be encouraged by what God is doing. Do not fall to fear in light of present circumstances. Rely on his strength. Praise him. Patiently wait for his promises. Don't tie your worth to your accomplishments. The risen Savior anchors your identity in his finished work. If you feel like you're a failure and you've made poor choices and you have bad relationships, the risen Savior can give you hope and peace. If you are feeling defeated today and you feel like you're caught in the traps of addiction, the risen Savior gives freedom and forgiveness. It's the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Your sin for his righteousness. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Christus Victor, Christ the victor over Satan and sin and death. Believers, we are waiting for a future day. We are waiting eagerly for our adoption, that we will fully and finally be free from corruption and bondage to decay. As Isaiah 25 verse 8 says, he will swallow up gulp up death forever and the Lord will wipe away every tear from the faces of everyone who cries and Revelation 21 tells us gives us this picture of the new heaven and earth the new Jerusalem the holy city of God coming down out of heaven from God God himself with his people and on that day he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more no mourning no crying nor pain anymore so believers declare the good news like never before ask God how you can shine the light of the gospel to those who are in darkness in his power, in his patience, in his kindness. You're never going to be as powerful as God. You're never going to be preeminent, but you can be patient and kind. You can be patient and kind. And believer, if it feels like your faith is failing today, build yourself up in your most holy faith. It is a gift from God for you to exercise in believing, to cling to truth and not lies. Believer, the power that raised Jesus dwells in you. 
In Ephesians 1, Paul is praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would know the hope to which they were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the wicking of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Remember what Christ has done and how he has come through, and he has shown him fa himself faithful so many times in your life. You who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you do not see him now. First Peter chapter 1, but you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, and you receive the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, these are difficult times that we are living. Jobs are being lost. People are isolated. The world is shaken with uncertainty. But even in these uncertain at times, even in these stressful times, rejoice in God. He is comforting you. He is bringing many people to himself. He is kindly tearing us away from our false idols. And he is sitting on the throne of the universe. His grace abounds. He knows what he's doing. You know, the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, says, what is your only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer for you and I, that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. All things must work together for my salvation. Therefore... By his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me willing and ready from now on to live for him. Beloved believers, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The risen Savior gives you faith to trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. We worship you, the risen Savior. Thank you that every day for a believer is resurrection day. Thank you, Lord, that you bless your people with faith to trust you. All the glory to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our service singing Christ our hope in life and death. Sweet. 
our hope in life and death, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, hallelujah, he is risen, and every day is resurrection day for a believer. I pray that today is a day of great hope and joy and peace in your heart, in your home, as you're with those you love. And thanks for sending all those pictures in as we are gathered virtually near and far. And we've got a lot of pictures that came in. So please stay on after we're done here with this part of the service because I want you to enjoy uh, the, the, the pictures of your brothers and sisters in Christ gathered near and far. So let me close by reading Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, and then I'll pray. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the God of peace and that Jesus, our Lord, was raised from the dead, that he is sitting at your right hand, interceding for us according to your will. Thank you, Lord God, for the promise of his return. We wait for Christ's return. We thank you, Lord, that we worship the risen Savior who blesses us with faith to trust him. Thank you for your power, for your preeminence, for your patience, and for your extreme kindness that comforts our souls. We commit ourselves to you and to your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
is judged
love on us and chose us to be saved this fleeting life is passing by with all its joys and pain but we believe to live is Christ and death is gain to live is Christ to die is gain in every age this truth
who saved a countless multitude to glorify his name we're yearning for the wedding feast of jesus and his bride his nail-scarred hands will finally bring us to his side to live is christ to die is gain in every age this truth remains we
We've Christ on.